section twenty four of handbook of home rule this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. handbook of home rule being articles on the irish question some arguments considered by john morley m p footnote the following pages with one or two slight alterations are extracted by the kind permission of mr james knowles from two articles which were published in the nineteenth century at the beginning of the present year in reply to professor dicey's statement of the english case against home rule and footnote it is a favorite line of argument to show that we have no choice between the maintenance of the union and the concession to ireland of national independence the evils of irish independence are universally reckoned by englishmen to be so intolerable that we shall never agree to it the evils of home rule are even more intolerable still therefore it is said if we shall never willingly bring the latter upon our heads a fortiori we ought on no account to invite the former the business in hand however is not a theorem but a problem it is not a thesis to be proved but a malady to be cured and the world will thank only the reasoner who winds up not with q e d but with q e f to reason that a patient ought not to take a given medicine because it may possibly cause him more pain than some other medicine which he has no intention of taking is curiously oblique logic the question is not oblique it is direct will the operation do more harm to his constitution than the slow corrosions of a disorder grown inveterate are the conditions of the connection between england and ireland as laid down in the act of union incapable of improvement is the present working of these conditions more prosperous and hopeful or happier for irish order and for english institutions than any practicable proposal that it is within the compass of statesmanship to devise and of civic sense to accept and to work that is the question some people contend that the burden of making out a case rests on the advocate of change and not on those who support things as they are but who supports things as they are things as they are have become insupportable if you make any of the constitutional changes that have been proposed we are told parliamentary government as englishmen now know it is at an end and our critic stands amazed at those who deem it a slighter danger to innovate on the act of union than to remodel the procedure of the house of commons as if that were the alternative great changes in the rules may do other good things but no single competent authority believes that in this particular they will do the thing that we want we cannot avoid constitutional changes it is made matter of crushing rebuke that the irish proposals of the late government were an innovation on the old constitution of the realm but everybody knows that while ancient forms have survived the last hundred years have witnessed a long succession of silent but most profound innovations 
it was short-sighted to assume that the redistribution of political power that took place in eighteen eighty four to five was the last chapter of the history of constitutional change it ought to have been foreseen that new possessors of power both irish and british would press for objects the pursuit of which would certainly involve further novelties in the methods and machinery of government every given innovation must be rigorously scrutinized but in the mere change or in the fact of innovation there is no valid reproach when one of the plans for the better government of ireland is described as depriving parliamentary institutions of their elasticity and strength as weakening the executive at home and lessening the power of the country to resist foreign attack no careful observer of the events of the last seven years can fail to see that all this evil has already got its grip upon us mr dicey himself admits it great britain he says if left to herself could act with all the force consistency and energy given by unity of sentiment and community of interests the obstruction and the uncertainty of our political aims the feebleness and inconsistency with which they are pursued arise in part at least from the connection with ireland so then after all it is feebleness and inconsistency not elasticity and strength that mark our institutions as they stand feebleness and inconsistency distraction and uncertainty the supporter of things as they are is decidedly as much concerned in making out a case as the advocate of change the strength of the argument from nationality is great and full of significance but nationality is not the whole essence of either the argument from history or the argument from self-government their force lies in considerations of political expediency as tested by practical experience the point of the argument from the lessons of history is that for some reason or another the international concern whose unlucky affairs we are now trying to unravel has always been carried on at a loss the point of the argument from self-government is that the loss would have been avoided if the irish shareholders had for a certain number of the transactions been more influentially represented on the board that is quite apart from the sentiment of pure nationality the failure has come about not simply because the laws were not made by irishmen as such but because they were not made by the men who knew most about ireland the vice of the connection between the two countries has been the stupidity of governing a country without regard to the interests or customs the peculiar objects and peculiar experiences of the great majority of the people who live in it it is not enough to say that the failures of england in ireland have to a great extent flowed from causes too general to be identified with the intentional wrongdoing either of rulers or of subjects we readily admit that but it is not the point it is not enough to insist that james i in his plantations and transplantations probably meant well to his irish subjects probably he did that is not the question if it is absolutely certain that his policy worked gross wrong what is the explanation and the defence 
we are quite content with mr dicey's own answer ignorance and want of sympathy produced all the evils of cruelty and malignity an intended reform produced injustice litigation misery and discontent the case is noticeable for it is a type of a thousand subsequent english attempts to reform and improve ireland this description would apply with hardly a word altered to the wrong done by the encumbered estates act in the reign of queen victoria that memorable measure as mr gladstone said was due not to the action of a party but to the action of a parliament sir robert peel was hardly less responsible for it than lord john russell we produced it said mr gladstone with a general lazy uninformed and irreflective good intention of taking capital to ireland what did we do we sold the improvements of the tenants house of commons april sixteen it is the same story from the first chapter to the last in education poor law public works relief acts even in coercion acts lazy uninformed and irreflective good intention that is the argument from history when we are asked what good law an irish parliament would make that could not equally well be made by the parliament at westminster this is the answer it is not the will it is the intelligence that is wanting we all know what the past has been why should the future be different it is an inherent condition of human affairs said mill in a book which in spite of some chimeras is a wholesome corrective of the teaching of our new jurists that no intention however sincere of protecting the interests of others can make it safe or salutary to tie up their own hands still more obviously true is it that by their own hands only can any positive and durable improvement of their circumstances in life be worked out representative government page fifty seven it is these wise lessons from human experience to which the advocate of home rule appeals and not the wild doctrine that any body of persons claiming to be united by a sense of nationality possesses an inherent and divine right to be treated as an independent community it is quite true that circumstances sometimes justify a temporary dictatorship in that there is nothing at variance with liberalism but the parliamentary dictatorship in ireland has lasted a great deal too long to be called temporary and its stupid shambling operations are finally and decisively condemned by their consequences that is a straightforward utilitarian argument and has nothing whatever to do with inherent and divine rights or any other form of political moonshine there are some who believe that an honest centralized administration of impartial officials and not local self-government would best meet the real wants of the people in other words everything is to be for the people nothing by the people which has not hitherto been a liberal principle something however may be said for this view provided that the source of the authority of such an administration be acceptable 
austrian administration in lombardy was good rather than bad yet it was hated and resisted because it was austrian and not italian no rational person can hold for an instant that the source of a scheme of government is immaterial to its prosperity more than that when people look for success in the government of ireland to honest centralized administration we cannot but wonder what fault they find with the administration of ireland to-day in respect of its honesty or its centralization what administration ever carried either honesty or centralization to a higher pitch than the irish administration of mr forster what could be less successful those who have been most directly concerned in the government of ireland whether english or irish even while alive to the perils of any other principle habitually talk of centralization as the curse of the system here again why should we expect success in the future from a principle that has so failed in the past again how are we to get a strong centralized administration in the face of a powerful and hostile parliamentary representation it is very easy to talk of the benefits that might have been conferred on ireland by such humanity and justice as was practised by turgot in his administration of the generality of limoges but turgot was not confronted by eighty-six limosin members of an active sovereign body all interested in making his work difficult and trusted by a large proportion of the people of the province with that as their express commission it is possible to have an honest centralized administration of great strength and activity in india but there is no parliament in india if india or any province of it ever gets representative government and our parliamentary system from that hour if there be any considerable section of india feeling adverse from european rule the present administrative system will be paralyzed as the parliamentary to being revolutionized it is conceivable if any one chooses to think so that a body of impartial officials could manage the national business in ireland much better without the guidance of public opinion and common sentiment than with it but if you intend to govern the country as you think best and that is the plain and practical english of centralized administration why ask the country to send a hundred men to the great tribunal of supervision to inform you how it would like to be governed the executive cannot set them aside as if they were a hundred dummies in refusing to be guided it cannot escape being harassed by them you may amend procedure but that is no answer unless you amend the irish members out of voice and vote they will still count you cannot gag and muzzle them effectually and if you could they would still be there and their presence would still make itself incessantly felt partly from a natural desire to lessen the common difficulties of government and partly from a consciousness due to the prevailing state of the modern political atmosphere that there is something wrong in this total alienation of an executive from the possessors of parliamentary power the officials will incessantly be tempted to make tax out of their own course 
and thus they lose the coherency and continuity of absolutism without gaining the pliant strength of popular government this is not a presumption of what would be likely to happen but an account of what does happen and what justified mr disraeli in adding a weak executive to the alien church and the absentee aristocracy as the three great curses of ireland nothing has occurred since eighteen forty four to render the executive stronger but much to the contrary there is and there can be no weaker or less effective government in the world than a highly centralized system working alongside of a bitterly inimical popular representation i say nothing of the effect of the fluctuations of english parties on irish administration i say nothing of the tendency in an irish government awkwardly alternating with that to which i have just averted to look over the heads of the people of ireland and to consider mainly what will be thought by the ignorant public in england but these sources of incessant perturbation must not be left out the fault of irish centralization is not that it is strong but that it is weak weak it must remain until parliament either approves of the permanent suspension of the irish writs or else devises constitutional means for making irish administration responsible to irish representatives if experience is decisive against the policy of the past experience too all over the modern world indicates the better direction for the future i will not use my too scanty space in repeating any of the great wise commonplaces in praise of self-government here they are superfluous in the case of ireland they have all been abundantly admitted in a long series of measures from catholic emancipation down to lord o'hagan's jury law and the franchise and redistribution acts of a couple of years ago the principle of self-government has been accepted ratified and extended in a hundred ways it is only a question of the form that self-government shall take against the form proposed by the late ministry a case is built up that rests on a series of prophetic assumptions these assumptions from the nature of the case can only be met by a counter-statement of fair and reasonable probabilities let us enumerate some of them one it is inferred that because the irish leaders have used violent language and resorted to objectionable expedients against england during the last six years they would continue in the same frame of mind after the reasons for it had disappeared in other words because they have been the enemies of a government which refused to listen to a constitutional demand therefore they would continue to be its enemies after the demand had been listened to on this reasoning the effect is to last indefinitely and perpetually notwithstanding the cessation of the cause our position is that all the reasonable probabilities of human conduct point the other way the surest way of justifying violent language and fostering treasonable designs is to refuse to listen to the constitutional demand two the irish we are told hate the english with an irreconcilable hatred and would unquestionably use any constitution as an instrument for satisfying their master passion irrational hatred 
they say can be treated by rational men with composure the czechs of bohemia are said to be irreconcilable yet the south germans bear with their hatred and if we cannot cure we might endure the antipathy of ireland now as for the illustration i may remark that the hatred of the czechs would be much too formidable for german composure if the czechs did not happen to possess a provincial charter and a special constitution of their own if the irish had the same their national dislike so far as it exists might be expected to become as bearable as the germans have found the feeling of the czechs but how deep does irish dislike go is it directed against english men or against an english official system the answers of every impartial observer to the whole group of such questions as these favor the conclusion that the imputed hatred of england in ireland has been enormously exaggerated and overcolored by ascendancy politicians for good reasons of their own that with the great majority of irishmen it has no deep roots that it is not one of those passionate international animosities that blind men to their own interests or lead them to sacrifice themselves for the sake of injuring their foe and finally that it would not survive the amendment of the system that has given it birth footnote the late j e carnes after describing the clearances after the famine goes on to say i own i cannot wonder that a thirst for revenge should spring from such calamities that hatred even undying hatred for what they could not but regard as the cause and symbol of their misfortunes english rule in ireland should possess the sufferers the disaffection now so widely diffused throughout ireland may possibly in some degree be fed from historical traditions and have its remote origin in the confiscations of the seventeenth century but all that gives it energy all that renders it dangerous may i believe be traced to exasperation produced by recent transactions and more especially to the bitter memories left by that most flagrant abuse of the rights of property and most scandalous disregard of the claims of humanity the wholesale clearances of the period following the famine political essays page one ninety eight and footnote three it is assumed that there is a universal desire for separation that there is a strong sentiment of nationality we of course admit it is part of the case and not the worst part but the sentiment of nationality is a totally different thing from a desire for separation scotland might teach our pseudo-unionists so much as that nowhere in the world is the sentiment of nationality stronger yet there is not a whisper of separation that there is a section of irishmen who desire separation is notorious but everything that has happened since the government of ireland bill was introduced including the remarkable declarations of mr parnell in accepting the bill june seven and including the proceedings at chicago shows that the separatist section is a very small one either in ireland or in america and that it has become sensibly smaller since and in consequence of the proposed concession of a limited statutory constitution the irish are quite shrewd enough to know that separation if it were attainable 
and they are well aware that it is not would do no good to their markets and to that knowledge as well as to many other internal considerations we may confidently look for the victory of strong centripetal over very weak centrifugal tendencies even if we suppose these centrifugal tendencies to be stronger than i would allow them to be how shall we best resist them by strengthening the hands and using the services of the party which though nationalist is also constitutional or by driving that party also in despair of a constitutional solution to swell the ranks of extremists and irreconcilables for whatever may be the ill-feeling towards england it is at least undeniable that there are bitter internal animosities in ireland and a political constitution our opponents argue can neither assuage religious bigotry nor remove agrarian discontent it is true no doubt that the old feud between protestant and catholic might perhaps not instantly die down to the last smouldering embers of it all over ireland but we may remark that there is no perceptible bad blood between protestant and catholic outside of one notorious corner second the real bitterness of the feud arose from the fact that protestantism was associated with an exclusive and hostile ascendancy which would now be brought to an end whatever feeling about what is called ulster exists in the rest of ireland arises not from the fact that there are protestants in ulster but that the protestants are anti-national third the catholics would no longer be one compact body for persecuting obscurantist or any other evil purposes the abatement of the national struggle would allow the catholics to fall into the two natural divisions of clerical and liberal what we may be quite sure of is that the feud will never die so long as sectarian pretensions are taken as good reasons for continuing bad government it is true again that a constitution would not necessarily remove agrarian discontent but it is just as true that you will never remove agrarian discontent without a constitution mr dicey on consideration will easily see why here we come to an illustration and a very impressive illustration it is of the impotence of england to do for ireland the good which ireland might do for herself nobody just now is likely to forget the barbarous condition of the broad fringe of wretchedness on the west coast of ireland of this lord dufferin truly said in eighteen eighty that no legislation could touch it that no alteration in the land laws could effectually ameliorate it and that it must continue until the world's end unless something be contrived totally to change the conditions of existence in that desolate region parliament lavishly pours water into the sieve in the shape of relief acts even in my own short tenure of office i was responsible for one of these terribly wasteful and profoundly unsatisfactory measures instead of relief what a statesman must seek is prevention of this great evil and strong root of evil and prevention means a large though it cannot be a very swift displacement of the population 
but among the many experts with whom i have discussed this dolorous and perplexing subject i never found one of either political party who did not agree that a removal of the surplus population was only practicable if carried out by an irish authority backed by the solid weight of irish opinion any exertion of compulsory power by a british minister would raise the whole countryside in squalid insurrection government would become impossible and the work of transplantation would end in ghastly failure it is misleading and untrue then to say that there is no possible relation between self-government and agrarian discontent misery and backwardness and when mr dicey and others tell us that the british parliament is able to do all good things for ireland i would respectfully ask them how a british parliament is to deal with the congested districts nearly as much may be said of the prevention of the mischievous practice of subdivision some contend that the old disposition to subdivide is dying out others however assure us that it is making its appearance even among the excellent class who purchased their holdings under the church act that act did not prohibit subdivision but it is prohibited in the act of eighteen eighty one still the prohibition can only be made effective if operations take place on anything like a great scale on condition that representative authorities resident on the spot have the power of enforcing it and have an interest in enforcing it some of the pseudo-unionists are even against any extension of local self-government and if it be unaccompanied by the creation of a central native authority they are right what such people fail to see is that in resisting political reconstruction they are at the same time resisting the only available remedies for some of the worst of agrarian maladies the ruinous interplay between agrarian and political forces each using the other for ends of its own will never cease so long as the political demand is in every form resisted that we are told is all the fault of the politicians be it so then the government must either suppress the politicians outright or else it must interest them in getting the terms of its land settlement accepted and respected home rule on our scheme was among other things part of an arrangement for settling the agrarian feud it was a means of interposing between the irish tenant and the british state an authority interested enough and strong enough to cause the bargain to be kept it is said that the irish authority would have had neither interest nor strength enough to resist the forces making for repudiation would those forces be any less irresistible if the whole body of the irish peasantry stood as land purchase minus self-government makes them to stand directly face to face with the british state this is a question that our opponents cannot evade any more than they can evade that other question which lies unnoticed at the back of all solutions of the problem by way of peasant ownership whether it is possible to imagine the land of ireland handed over to irish men and yet the government of ireland kept exclusively and directly by english men such a divorce is conceivable under a rule like that of the british in india with popular institutions it is inconceivable and impossible five 
it is argued that home rule on mr gladstone's plan would not work because it follows in some respects the colonial system whereas the conditions at the root of success of the system in the colonies do not exist in ireland they are distant ireland is near they are prosperous ireland is poor they are proud of the connection with england ireland resents it but the question is not whether the conditions are identical with those of any colony it is enough if in themselves they seem to promise a certain basis for government it might justly be contended that proximity is a more favorable condition than distance without it there could not be that close and constant intercommunication which binds the material interests of ireland to those of great britain and so provides the surest guarantee for union if ireland were suddenly to find herself as far off as canada then indeed one might be very sorry to answer for the union again though ireland has to bear her share of the prevailing depression in the chief branch of her production it is a great mistake to suppose that outside of the margin of chronic wretchedness in the west and southwest the condition not only of the manufacturing industries of the north but of the agricultural industry in the richer parts of the middle and south is so desperately unprosperous as to endanger a political constitution under our stupidly centralized system irishmen have no doubt acquired the enervating trick of attributing every misfortune great or small public or private to the government when they learn the lessons of responsibility they will unlearn this fatal habit and not before i do not see therefore that the differences in condition between ireland and the colonies make against home rule what i do see is ample material out of which would arise a strong and predominant party of order the bulk of the nation are sons and daughters of a church which has been hostile to revolution in every country but ireland and which would be hostile to it there from the day that the cause of revolution ceased to be the cause of self-government if the peasantry were made to realize that at last the land settlement wisely and equitably made was what it must inexorably remain and what no politicians could help them to alter they would be as conservative as the peasantry under a similar condition in every other spot on the surface of the globe there is no reason to expect that the manufacturers merchants and shopkeepers of ireland would be less willing or less able to play an active and useful part in the affairs of their country than the same classes in england or scotland it will be said that this is mere optimist prophesying but why is that to be flung aside under the odd name of sentimentalism while pessimist prophesying is to be taken for gospel the only danger is lest we should allot new responsibilities to irishmen with a too grudging and restrictive hand for true responsibility there must be real power it is easy to say that this power would be misused and that the conditions both of irish society and of the proposed constitution must prevent it from being used for good it is easy to say that separation would be a better end life is too short to discuss that separation is not the alternative either to home rule or to the status quo 
if the people of ireland are not to be trusted with real power over their own affairs it would be a hundred times more just to england and more merciful to ireland to take away from her that semblance of free government which torments and paralyzes one country while it robs the other of national self-respect and of all the strongest motives and best opportunities of self-help the status quo is drawing very near to its inevitable end the two courses then open will be home rule on the one hand and some shy bungling underhand imitation of a crown colony on the other we shall have either to listen to the irish representatives or to suppress them unless we have lost all nerve and all political faculty we shall before many months are over face these alternatives liberals are for the first tories at present inclined to the second it requires very moderate instinct for the forces at work in modern politics to foresee the path along which we shall move in the interests alike of relief to great britain and of a sounder national life for ireland the only real question is not whether we are to grant home rule but how End of section twenty four